Hi, I'm Adam. And I'm Nitan. And this is Stories from the East and West, telling you little-known stories from Central and Eastern Europe that changed our world. Today, I'll be taking a little break from hosting. Instead, Adam will be joined by Monica. Hi. Monica is a freelance documentary maker, and she produced this episode for us. It's about a certain person who mesmerized the world behind the Iron Curtain. There is a couple hundred people in the audience. He's sitting at a table on the stage. There is nothing else on it. He starts asking sick people to come forward. If you have a heart disease, please raise your hand. And people come forward. He touches each person and they fall. One by one. Fall, fall, fall. Coming up on Stories from the East and West. Zlín, Praha, Warszawa, Madrid, London, Paris, New York, Casablanca. Where you see a kind of totality of the human presence. Absolutely, absolutely. That is exactly This story starts in the late 80s, in the Soviet Union. The Cold War was coming to an end, the totalitarian regime was crumbling. There was political and cultural confusion everywhere. And then, one day in 1989, Soviet Central Television, which broadcast to the homes of 290 million people, started showing something really strange. An athletic man in black stares into the camera, filling the screen. He has this severe motionless face and a black bowl cut. It's like if Dr. Spock had a muscly brother who wore a priest's outfit. A romantic guitar plays in the background and he starts talking about brain programming, biological personal computers and self-healing. The whole time, he just keeps gazing down the camera, directly at the viewers. And he counts. Adin, Dva, his name is Anatoly Kaspirovsky, and he's about to heal the Soviet Union. After greeting the audience, Kaspirovsky says he's about to perform an act of psychological influence. One person watching was Maria Litvin. She lived and worked in Hushatan in western Ukraine, one of the 15 republics of the Soviet Union at that time. He appeared like a comet. He didn't work his way up to fame gradually. He just appeared on screens. They said he had special powers and that he could help people who were sick. Maria worked at the local cinema. Just like how people ran to watch Indian films and the Mexican series that the rich also cry, they ran to watch Kaspirovsky. They flocked in awe to watch his seances. They left their children behind and they dropped early to look at him. One, two, three. 
Здесь очень удобная обстановка. We are in a very cozy space. His TV show, the snappily titled Health Sessions with Dr. Psychotherapist Anatoly Kasparovsky, was a huge, almost spooky success. The streets emptied across the Socialist Republics as people gathered in front of their TVs to see something they'd never experienced before. 18, 19, 19, 20. 20. There is a pleasant softness in everything. There were a lot of people. I looked around and I noticed that everyone was leaning back, like they were asleep. I tried to talk to the people around me. My friend was sitting next to me. I wanted to ask her something. I took her hand, but she was silent. I thought she must be sleeping. I looked around and realized I was the only one that wasn't asleep. So what were all these sessions curing anyway? Kaspirovsky had a huge list of things. Diabetes, osteoporosis, ulcers, heart scarring, burns, headaches, hemorrhoids, varicose veins, mastitis, infertility, pelvic organ bedwetting. But he made an important caveat. He didn't promise to cure people himself. He told viewers they were capable of doing it themselves, with their body's self-healing abilities. Responsibility was on their side. After just six episodes, Kaspirovsky's show went off air, but by then, he was already a star. His fame was also spreading beyond the USSR, into the Eastern Bloc. The Bloc's countries were always under the influence of whatever was happening in the Soviet Union. That included Poland. Marcin Kuropatwa grew up in Brzeziny, a small town near the city of Łódź in Poland. He was at primary school during those hectic years. He remembers how Polish TV, which only had two channels back then, started screening Kaspirowski's show. Suddenly people started saying that there's this doctor who can heal anyone, that you don't have to make an appointment, and that it doesn't cost anything. You just need to focus. There was a myth that he'd already helped millions of Russians. People were saying that now he's going further with his mission. A unique atmosphere filled the room when Marcin's family gathered to watch the healer. There was my mother, my sister and our neighbors who had their own TVs but came over to watch it with us. I remember it was the only program we would watch in silence. 
there was a deep focus on both sides of the screen. One came from Dr. Kaspirovsky, who was like a rock, just unresponsive. His face was like a statue. Then, there was our family, our friends, all trying to perfectly position themselves in front of the screen to have the best communication with him. People tried to guess the perfect position, the distance, the method of focusing. Should I be squinting? Should I flex my muscles or relax them? After the seance, everyone looked at each other like they thought it wasn't just the soul, but also the body that had undergone a change. Every program was a new chance to do it again. So, let's look at where this man came from. Anatoly Kaspirovsky was born in 1939 in the city of Khmelnytsky in Ukraine, which, like we mentioned, was then part of the USSR. He studied at the Vinitsa Medical Institute. After graduating, he worked as a psychiatrist in Vinitsa for over 20 years. He says that he started working on methods for self-healing when he found the hospital he worked at didn't have enough essential medications. I contacted the hospital and several staff members that worked with Kaspirovsky to ask about their famous colleague, but nobody was willing to talk about it. This was actually a pattern throughout my research. I noticed an uncomfortable silence not only among his colleagues, but also a large part of his audience. It seems people who watched his sessions in the late 80s just don't want to admit to it today. That's why most of the guests we recorded were kids at the time. For them, Kaspirovsky's program was just a bit of fun not some hoax they might feel embarrassed about falling for. Anyway, after almost 25 years of practice as a hospital doctor, Kasparovsky decided to put his technique to a different use, the 1988 Summer Olympics. He started working as a therapist slash coach for the Soviet weightlifting team. And the team was very successful. It won more medals in weightlifting that year than any other country. This was also around when Kasparovsky began experimenting with TV as a medium. He made a couple of particularly memorable appearances. The most incredible one took place in 1988. It was a surgical operation that was broadcast live throughout the Soviet Union. A 39-year-old woman, Lyubov Grabowska, was to be operated on in Moscow without the use of any anesthetics. Kaspirovsky was going to use brain programming to anesthetize her. But he wasn't even in the room. He was going to do it from a studio in Kiev, well over 500 miles away. Why Grabowska would agree to this, we have no idea. If you watch the footage, Kaspirovsky seems tense. He talks to the surgeons and doctors in a loud, firm voice. Get ready. We're starting on three, three, four, one, two, three, let's go. The surgery goes well. The patient smiles and says she feels great, all while the surgeons finish up their work. And if that wasn't enough, a year later, Kaspirovsky did the same thing with two patients at the same time. This time, the surgery took place in Tbilisi, in Georgia, while he was over in Kiev again. The patients were awake during the entire procedure. The atmosphere was a lot more relaxed this time. One of the patients even joked with Kaspirovsky in the middle of her surgery, telling him she'd like to have some champagne. Later on, she even started singing a famous Russian song called Moscow Nights. 
In the background, you can hear Kaspirovsky. He's hurrying the cameraman to show the operating space, while at the same time giving the patient prompts with the lyrics. It all seems pretty unbelievable, but apparently none of it was staged. We sent Monica to the other side of the country to talk about it with Romuald Polchuk, a psychologist and hypnosis expert. My name is Romuald Polchuk. <coughs> I work in the Institute of Psychology at Jagiellonian University. My main question for Dr. Polchuk was, is there any rational, scientific explanation for all these stunts? He told me that yes, hypnosis can affect somatic phenomena. In some rare cases, it really can be used instead of anesthesia during surgery. The beginnings of using hypnosis for medical purposes is usually traced back to Dr. Franz Mesmer. Back in the 18th century, he referred to his practices as mesmerizing. Mesmerizing is a fiction, but nevertheless, this was effective. We don't exactly know why hypnosis can be effective. Dr. Polchik says it can be attributed to the placebo effect, which can be very powerful. Dr. Polchik says that hypnotic induction usually involves three elements. One, deep relaxation. Two, focusing the gaze on one point. And three, suggestions of sleeping and drowsiness. Often coupled with a monotonic uh, count. One, two. Which all sounds a lot like Kasparovsky's Adin, Dva, Tri and, and so-called brain programming. In psychological research, hypnosis is very often induced to a group of participants. I think that it is also possible to hypnotize over TV. Okay. Kasparovsky, for example, claims to be able to do so, and it seems that he is right. So, the answer is yes. There are scientifically proven explanations for even the craziest of Kasparovsky's TV appearances. But whatever scientific name he might have called it, people just thought of Kasparovsky as a hypnotist. And the one thing everybody knows is that hypnotized people have enhanced suggestibility. Sometimes absurdly enhanced suggestibility. And it was this, despite all the love and awe people had for him, that provoked questions about Kasparovsky's intentions. After all, this was happening during a very difficult period of political transformation. The whole Eastern Bloc was crumbling. Jan Morawiecki, who grew up in St. Petersburg, describes what it was like. I agree with Ronald Reagan when he said that the USSR was an evil empire. It's not just because of the threat of the nuclear war or all the political prisoners, but because people had to live in that situation every day. They had no possibility of changing their lives. They had no control over their own fate. The state controlled everything, even private matters, who you should love, who you should talk to, who you can meet, who you should live with, how much you should earn. This started to change. 
In the late 80s, the state's ability to control started changing. The state just didn't have the ability to control everything. The USSR and its ideology were gradually falling apart. Morawiecki says that as the censorship loosened, many new areas of culture started to flourish, making way for new content in the media. Kaspirowski sees that moment. Kaspirowski found himself in a strange place in the social mental landscape, somewhere between religion, psychotronics and science. Dr. Zuzanna Grembecka is a cultural anthropologist specializing in communism. Back when she was a schoolgirl, she liked watching Kaspirowski's program. She says he put her to sleep wonderfully. There was a program called Kaleidoskop Filmowy Kino Oko. They showed documentaries about the Bermuda Triangle, the Tunguska event, Atlantis, Erich von Däniken, mermaids. They also talked about hypnosis. Kaspirowski was somehow related to all of that. Morawiecki remembers similar programs appearing in Russia. There were parascientific programs about extraterrestrial life, UFOs, hypnosis and Kaspirovsky. Whatever he might have said he was doing, Kasparovsky was seen as part of a whole world of unexplained mysteries just waiting to be solved. Zuzanna Grembecka emphasizes that during periods of social crisis, there appears a need for miracles, and strange things do actually start happening. She recalls, for example, how there were numerous miracles in Poland in the 1980s, such as religious sculptures and paintings crying tears of blood. But Grembecka also insists that Kasparovsky's success was thanks to the turbulent social changes that came with the region's transformation into a market-driven economy. The late 90s were an explosion of freedom, but also years of huge uncertainty. They were very dynamic years, with hyperinflation, incredibly fast changes that could make you go from broke to a millionaire and back again. It was a time of huge social uncertainty. In uncertain times, people need to feel they have some sort of control. Hypnosis, herbalism, clairvoyance, these were all ways of regaining control in a world where the rules they knew were falling apart. Zuzanna Grembecka says, watching Kaspirowski was undoubtedly all about escapism. People wanted to get away from the political, economic and social reality that was crumbling around them. Say, it's a gloomy November day. It's raining, the streets are dirty, they've cut off the lights again, there's nothing in the stores, you are not earning enough. That's when we start talking about extraterrestrials, telepathy. Suddenly we are somewhere else, in a different world, a different reality. Eventually, Kasparovsky started reaching out to people in person. He met them in stadiums, 
theatre halls, churches and community centres, all of which drew massive crowds. These meetings were a mix of talks, healing sessions and demonstrations of his special powers, like one where he held people's hands above fire without them getting hurt. And the reaction from audiences was euphoric. People were crying, falling asleep, waving their hands in the air, all sorts of things. With a gesture from his hand, audiences would suddenly fall to the ground, like their spirits had been knocked out of them. So, at the turn of the 1990s, Kasparovsky meant a whole lot to millions of people. He was an iconic character and inspired people's imagination. But as for the suspicions about his intentions, we don't know anything. What we do know is that almost immediately after the fall of the Soviet Union, Kasparovsky became a politician. Yes, in 1993, he joined the LDPR, a populist party led by the infamous Vladimir Zhirinovsky, known for his ultra-nationalist views. And then Kaspirovsky became a deputy in the Russian parliament. And that's when it all started going downhill. Jeżeli dobrze rozumiem sytuację, władze zdali sobie sprawę, że człowiek, który a The authorities quickly understood that a man who a can fill entire stadiums and b has political aspirations, he was already a minister in parliament at the time, then that man might be dangerous. That's Zhenya Klimakin, a journalist and colleague from Kochpiel. Po prostu szczucia Kaspirowskiego wszędzie w Rosji. Spalano kukły Kaspirowskiego, plakaty He started being hounded everywhere he went in Russia. People were burning Kaspirovsky effigies. His eyes were being poked out on posters. In the end, he decided to leave the country and he moved to the US. After Kaspirovsky left Russia, he avoided any contact with the media. His audience was left with silence. Along with the political transformation, Kaspirovsky and his Adin, Dva, Tre started fading into memories of the past along with other weird popular culture from the socialist era. People I know remember him. I was even thinking about him recently too. There are instances when people ask, do you know where Kaspirovsky is now? Maybe we should look for him, but I don't know where he is. Nobody knows. Actually, some people do know. This is the 55th meeting in Perm, the last blow to senility, suffering and death. He's alive and kicking. You didn't think he would give up, did you? That recording you can hear is as recent as 2015. It turns out he'd spent a few years in the US keeping a low profile. Sometimes he'd organize weight loss sessions for eager Russian immigrants. But then he returned to Europe in the hopes of resuming his lifelong mission to program human brains towards self-healing. Back in 2010, after hearing he was back in Europe, Zhenya decided to try interview him. He went to meet Kaspirovsky at one of his events in Berlin. As a child, Zhenya's mother used to seat him in front of the TV, hoping Kaspirovsky would heal his skin problems. Now Zhenya would get to see the man in real life. There is a couple hundred people in the audience. He's sitting at a table on the stage. There is nothing else on it. 
Уважаемые, прежде чем приступить к основной части, i on po kolei zaczął zapraszać ludzi mówić o tym, że takie i takie choroby. He starts asking sick people to come forward. If you have a heart disease, please raise your hand. And people come forward. He touches each person and they fall. One by one. Fall, fall, fall. They lie on the floor for a couple of minutes, they stand up, and Kaspirovsky moves on to the next disease. At the end of the event, he advises the audience to buy pictures of him and place his image on the sick parts of their bodies. And he's still going today. He's 79 years old, and his sessions are still selling out. In Russia and in other post-Soviet republics, he sometimes leads several sessions a day just to fit everyone in. These sessions are not meticulously staged or orchestrated. They really just seem chaotic. The sound's not good, the music is off, and the main character does not have what most people would call charm. He's been speaking in the same monotonous voice for over 30 years and has never so much as smiled. It seems like it just shouldn't work, but it does. He doesn't seem to promote himself either. He just runs his own basic web page and YouTube channel, which is this odd mix of archive materials and weightlifting home videos. But wherever he goes, Crowds seem to magically appear. No, sekta to za mocno powiedziane, ale osoby, które wierzą w Kaspirowskiego i w jego moc. The cult is too strong a word, but there are people who believe in Kaspirowski and his powers. He has created a sort of church, an international one. Czy to jest zwykła hipnoza? Is this normal hypnosis? I don't think so. There are thousands of hypnotists across the world. Why can't they get crowds like that after dozens of years? I think many of them would like a career like his, but they're missing something. What are they missing? I don't have an answer to that. This episode of Stories from the East and West was produced by Culture PL. It was hosted by Monica Proba, Nitzan Reisner, and me, Adam Żuławski. It was written and produced by Monica, edited by me and Wojciech Oleksiak, and scored by Wojciech too. If you'd like to learn more about Kaspirovsky, go to sftew.com, where you'll find some of his photos, videos from his performances, and links to his weightlifting home videos. Our next episode drops in two weeks and there's lots and lots of nudity in it for you to listen to. So you might want to check back on January 17th. So Adam, what do our listeners do this week to help us promote the show? Listeners, Adin, Dva, Tri, feeling great. Leave us a fantastic review on Apple Podcasts. <laughs> yeah, okay, that sounds good. Um, hear you in two weeks. Bye, guys. Bye.